Well, we're not far from Constable Country here, and an artist could make something of this scene. It's a crisp, mellow afternoon, and the colourful figures in the foreground belong to Colchester United in blue and white stripes, and Exeter City equally smart in red and white stripes. They're playing from right to left. listener to episode 12 of the football kit podcast i'm les from hull city kits i'm gav aka the kit geek and i'm dennis from museum of jerseys joining us for this episode is matt riley author of the soon to be released tome kit and caboodle welcome matt hey guys great to see you especially football kit geek i've met him met him in the flesh after reading all your tweets it's great to see you mate <laughs> thanks mike does he look geeky or, or less geeky than you? Totally on geeky. There's there's zero on the geek scale. <laughs> I've even got the glasses on today as well, so all round geekness. Before we discuss the book, Matt, tell us mm-hmm. first about your work with Thai side Supang Buri. Yes. Um, so I worked in we worked and lived in Thailand for 16 years overall, and then I worked uh, in Thai football for six of those years. In fact, I've just finished the first draft of a book coming out about that next year called Thai Football Tales, A Beautiful Madness, which kind of summarises the problems or the, let's say, the challenges with Supanburi. When I last worked with them, we qualified for the Asian Champions League, the AFC Champions League, and were kicked out for a lack of paperwork. And this season they got relegated. And that also shows a lot about their journey. So it was very, very highly financed. Uh, The president is now a Thai cabinet minister. It was crazy time. I was producing uh, English media for Thai football. Really enjoyable time. But I saw a lot of things that um, a lot of people don't get to see and probably wouldn't want to see in most, in most lifetimes. But it was an amazing experience. It's a provincial club, uh, oceans and oceans of money being poured into various projects. And uh, it was a great experience for a, for a Westerner like me. So that was where I kind of decided to dive into football. Unfortunately, my mum my died very um, very quickly from cancer while we were over in Thailand and I chucked my job in and thought right what do I love and it's football just like you guys it's 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 all about football. You made regular appearances on Fox Sports Central broadcasting across Asia is that right Matt? Yeah that's right so we used to have a magazine program and I was lucky that I was um, in a group of one of people that worked in Thai football in English because there was there was there was very very little coverage in in English so I was very lucky that my wife sponsored me, a kind of, you know, unofficial sponsor. And so <laughs> whenever there was opportunities, I get to meet the Fox Sports presenters. And I, I used to play in football tournaments with some of the old professionals like sort of John Barnes and Ian Rush, these sort of people. And then you, you build up a network. So I uh, got to know some of the presenters on Fox Sports as well and uh, ended up, yeah, going on, on, a, on a magazine show across Asia. And that really helped me with the, with the job, actually, because people would see me on Fox Sports 
And then it helped me get to know more coaches in the opposition and kind of more influential people. And um, actually, things were going really well as we left. But we, we decided we need to leave because of the children's age and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I loved it on Fox Sport. Really good presenters, really nice sort of experience and got some live and some highlights from Thai games and, and tried to promote it across Asia. So, yeah, that was a that was a good experience, I have to say. Very good. Mm. And nowadays, Matt, you're producing content for Fair Games. So tell us a bit about that organisation's raison d'etre. Yeah, so the idea about Fair Game is is trying to, in a way, support Tracy Crouch's review. You know, I've actually got another book out on October the 3rd called Her Game 2, A Manifesto for Change. And Tracy's written the, the foreword for that. So Fair Game is trying to do... In a lot of ways, like my local football team, Exeter City and, and now York City and Newport County do, which is as a trust club to try and uphold values about how things are done with transparency and openness, particularly in financial ways. It does mean that clubs like my, my Exeter City, who I'm a season ticket holder for, by the way, got my season tickets this morning. So I was very excited. Try, my wife was trying to be excited when, when I told her about it, but not so much. But Fair Game is trying to establish ways that we don't have another Oldham, we don't have another Berry. you know, there's this this sort of situation where, you know, I'm lucky that I've got Kevin um, Kevin Day, who's done the forward for my book, but him and Kieran, uh, Kieran Maguire, you know, they often talk about the, the madness, particularly in the championship, the financial madness, and um, Fair Game is trying to get, just to make that people understand that people like the you know Bassini at Birmingham City you know the the kind of things that he's talking about and saying he's doing it's madness he's going to kill the club you know and originally I'm a Midlander and my family are all Villa fans so I should be celebrating it but when you look at what Bassini's doing he's going to kill the club and look at what he did at Watford look at what he did at Bolton Wanderers so yeah fair game is a collection of it's a little bit different to some other organizations so it's driven often by politicians it's driven by policy makers and then what we try and do is we, with Niall with Niall Cooper who's the, the the kind of leader of it all try and just make people realize that if we're not careful you know we're going to lose our clubs and they ain't coming back if we're not careful you know look at luckily Oldham's been taken over as you know lads but you look at Berry and the problems that the two Berries have had and that kind of thing. So uh, people like Fair Game are upholding that and they're really good people, you know, like like you lads. We just want to have football that we love, that we can have, we can pass on to our kids or in my case, not pass on to my kids because <laughs> for some reason they're not football fans, but that's another story. <laughs> I was quite surprised at how many clubs had signed up. I was just thinking locally to me, there was Grimsby Town, there's Doncaster mm. Rovers. I hadn't known about those clubs' involvement. It's the type of thing I would have backed I'm not saying it's not something I'd back now because you, you never quite know what the financial stability of a club is going to be, certainly when you've got new owners. Mm. But certainly there was that period in between the 1990s and the 2000s where every year seemed to be people talking about it being the last year of the club and, and people just behaving financially recklessly. Mm. Uh, don't know, we might be there again, but so far signs are, are quite good, but you never know. Yeah, it's hopeful. I mean, it's just this thought of having to of spending, you know, 120% of your income on wages or 160% of your income on wages, you know, and you realise it has to stop somewhere. You know, and again, getting back to Exeter City, we don't have much money. We've made no signings close season, but we are financially efficient, you know, with the Ollie Watkins money, with the Ethan Ampadu money, 
build a stand, we're improving our training facilities, but we're not going to pay somebody enormous money just to come and have a holiday in Devon for the end of their career. And, you know, some fans are calling for, for that type of signing, but, you know, that financial stability, you know, I can't imagine not having football. I mean, <sighs> Exeter went, you know, went bust when Michael Jackson was a weird kind of chairman or, or president or whatever. Exeter City, we went out of business essentially, uh, and two of our directors were stealing money and sent to prison. We very nearly lost the club that that represents Exeter, and uh, so people like Fair Game, people like Tracy, trying to say, look, whatever people might may have, whether it's uh, you know the Saudi Arabian government, whether it's whoever it is, they are just passing through. But the clubs, you know, we we have to have the clubs for, for per- perpetuity. Yeah, really excellent point. OK, mm. so on to the book, then. What yep. first sparked the thoughts that you should write a book about kids? Mm. Well, to be honest, it's a good man you're talking about this, is I started looking at the design for kids. And then I saw people like you who were forensic and far more detailed than I ever could be. So I kind of pulled back. And then I thought, well, rather than the design rather than the kind of uh, the structure of the shirts what about the messages that the shirts hold and the idea that we set our life's journey against the shirts so you know i i think about i've been with my wife now for 30 years we've married for 26 years next next week i think about the shirt i wore when i first met her and i wore a shirt of aston villa when we won the european cup but we were rubbish in the league so Immediately, this idea that the story of the shirt I wore was different to reality, but also has these great memories. So I pulled back and then I started to look at stories and I contacted Tromso out in Norway and they very kindly let me use their kits. And I, I looked at the, the you know, Arsenal No More Red and I thought, well, again, I can't compete with people like you, Gav, but I can look at the stories that the shirts represent and you know there's so many stories that came out i just had an email this morning from stonewall fc looking at the lgbtq and how their shirts are representing them promoting the idea of of fairness and you know and again even tonight you look at the england shirt the fact that it's now designed for a woman's shape there's beautiful badge they've got isn't it absolutely fantastic um the the great people like football shirts for charity and then I see things like the Villa shirt with Castor, which is a half past five on a Friday afternoon job. You know, it's about 5% effort. Let's just bung out a claret and blue shirt. And then you see people like Icarus, who designed, you know, the shirt that I, I sent to you, Gav. Really creative, you know, really imaginative, really passionate. And I just think, how, why is it that people spend 120 quid on a PSG shirt when they could buy this, you know, these wonderful designs? And again, with like people like Icarus, you know, and, and Kit and Bone. Like Icarus, when they've got a was it a Mesopotamian league shirt, and you think this is this is fantastic. If you can think it, they can make it. And unfortunately, I've hit my credit card too hard because I've now done an away kit of what I sent you, Gab. I've now got an orange with a blue, and it, it's kind of it's hard to stop. I'm sure you feel the same way, Laz. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's almost like an addiction, you know. I, I heard a phrase the other day: the madness of perfection. And I sort of see that a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Is that you were talking about your colours of your shirts earlier and the design and the colours and you think you never get to that perfection because it's all subjective. But there's that kind of, you know, that I hate to use the word journey, but, you know, that kind of you want to get near and you want to see the shirt that just blows you away. And and yes, so it's just fantastic. And I got to suddenly I was at 50,000 words, you know, between the five and four of us. I'm about 40,000 words into the into the well sequel, if there is one. But, you know, another book. Because the same many things, even I think you shared today, uh, Gav, about 
the people that design the shirts in the Premier League or the or, or other all the football league shirts, you know, that also tells a story. And uh, I just think it's wonderful. And I love the fact that people patronise people who love shirts. You know what I mean? They condescend and they say it's kind of you know childish or whatever. And I just think, yeah, that's fine. You think that, but I just love it. You know, it's just wonderful stories, and they just keep coming. It's it's that it's that organic growth of the stories that I just feel is astonishing. It definitely feels like it's an area of football that's growing. Uh, and mm. kind of the more I'm into it, the more I see and the more kind of, you know, comment and the more thoughts. And, and and it's great. I think all of the comments, you know, even some of the negative comments you see, you think that they're good that people are talking about kits in a way that mm. five, even five, ten years ago, weren't even thought about or considered. So uh, I love that thought process. It's brilliant. Even I think the last week in Kevin and Kieran's podcast, The Price of Football, they were talking about retro kits and they're actually yeah. designing one at, the, at this moment. I was hoping to get it into this book, but I'll probably get into the next one. And yeah, I just love the way that it's, a, you know, it's a blank canvas. It's a chance to be creative. And um, it's just, yeah, it's never ending. You know, it's just every, every time I look at like your your tweets and other people's tweets, I just think that is a great story. Talking to Les and Gavin, the word I used about the book was that it was very kind of soulful. Um, you know, oh, like that's a nice I, word. Yeah, I might put you uh, on that one if that's all right, mate. <laughs> absolutely. Um, like I've I've a few shelves there full of kit books, and you've John Devlin's ones, which kind of mm. catalog a group of teams over a period of time, and then you have other ones like the worst kits of all time, or there's mm. a lot. No, focusing on a specific club or there's one joining the national team and mm. they're they're very much I suppose about the shirt and about the history of, of a, a team's kits but yours obviously is about value and, and values and the financial value of the shirt sales and spon- sponsorships and then the moral values of the people mm. who wear the shirts and I suppose it, it kind of it's like the the conflict at the heart of football isn't it like football began I suppose from socialist roots and you know, a sense of unity, and then you've the the money people coming in and sensing an opportunity, and I suppose the shirt is the embodiment of what you know what a club or a country represents. You know, it's it's the the the, the, the players change, mm. the shirt stays the same, and obviously mm. you you kind of you cover that in like you say an an organic way. Like, mm. did you have a, a list of teams that you wanted to hit, or did you kind of have a target audience that you kind of were able to mm. kind of address the teams towards, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, I just wanted to get that Coventry chocolate shirt in. That was one, <laughs> one thing I thought, especially with the ginger hair, the chocolate, I thought, I've got to get that one in. But really, no, you used the word organic, and that's absolutely what it was like, you know. And it's also interesting that you reminded me when you were talking there that my editor actually took some things out. Do you remember the BK8 promotion on Norwich? And I went in very hard on that because I thought it was disgusting the way that women were sexualized as part of the promotion of that. And then they moved on to Huddersfield and my editor said, you know, you can't put that in, you'll get sued. But yeah, I, I just really it was just that idea of when the stories are out. I learned a lot, like even with Tromso, with the Norwegian team where they've got the QR code that takes you to amnesty for the, I uh, probably should say, alleged human rights abuses, but we don't necessarily need that. The fact that I managed to get contact with Tromso and it made, made me realise how hard it is to get permission to use photos. So, I mean, even to get the two photos I used for Tromso, it took four or five weeks just to say to them, please look at the content. Please look that I'm just trying to promote this. 
as you as you lads know, all of the royalties go to Exeter City Women because my wife and I sponsor them, and I just think it's amazing what they've done. Although ninety three percent of the cover, by the way, guys, goes to the publishers. That was a bit of a shock as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what it was more rather than just hitting certain teams, I wanted to talk about Exeter City, and I, I talk about them in the second book as well. And I wanted, you know, my family are Villa fans. You know, I'm kind of a lapsed Villa fan. My family has supported Villa for a hundred years. I was born in the Midlands, but I grew up in Africa. And I also wanted to talk about Exeter City because I've kind of, you know, become a born again League Two, now League One uh, fan as well. So, yeah, really, it was just what, where the stories took me. And, you know, I wanted to talk particularly, and it was interesting when you were talking there earlier as well, about mental health, especially like the blacked out shirts. I just think it's such a powerful message for those clubs. Even I think it was Wigan. I should remember this, but I think it might be Wigan. But even with small clubs, it's if you're going to do something, you do something or you do nothing. And I see clubs that do something, and I really love to see that. Do you know what I mean? Rather than just trying to get some clickbait about will Ronaldo stay or not, and will you buy the shirt? The idea that however small your club is, like my local club, Exmouth Town, uh, in here in Devon, they wore Ukrainian colours, and we get twenty people watching my watching them play, but they're doing something, you know. And I just I just really love that, mate. And and again, I, it, it just grew. I just saw this story, and then that story, and then the Arsenal No More Red story, and you know, particularly things like the LGBTQ stories. I just thought this is just just amazing. And it kind of took me, you know, it took me where the stories went, which is I really enjoyed. I was never listening to my wife when she was talking to me because I was thinking about the next story that Gap highlighted or anything someone else. But it was just a lovely experience really. See, I noticed that you're you're not afraid of the book being tied to the present day. You've mm. got mentions of COVID, the Ukrainian conflict, the Conservative mm. Party lockdown parties, um, <laughs> even the rise of crypto and NFT sponsorship. Yeah. It almost feels like a detailed weather report on football kits right now, almost like a, mm. a state of the nation address about kits, if you will. Do you think is that a fair mm. assessment? Well, it's very kind of you to say that. But yeah, I would say that, particularly when you talk about gambling. You know, I was really surprised that the uh, the designer highlighted a quote that said uh, cryptocurrency is a shit sandwich, but just with different bread. I was really surprised that that would get that got through. But yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You, see, you know, where are we now? You know, I feel very strongly about the way that socios and NFTs and crypto is basically is doing a disservice to the history of our clubs. And, you know, too many people are walking through it. I follow Gambling With Lives and I've actually contacted Gambling With Lives a lot. You know, the fact that 400 people a year commit suicide due to gambling debts and you're being absolutely bombarded with gambling. So, yeah, it's a very kind of thing for you. Saying, Lads, you, you give me some great quotes for the uh, for the for the uh, publishers here. But, yeah, kind of uh, taking a pulse or a weather report on, you know, what I think about football as it is now. And again, the fact that um, they they can't mess with history. This is this is everything to us, isn't it? To our to our families, decades of our families and history and whoever comes and goes, whether it's Bassini or the owner of Oldham, you know, one of the people that I work with at Fair Game, she was a CEO of Oldham and she was basically summarily sacked because of her, because of the gender, essentially. Natalie was telling me, Natalie Atkinson was telling me, you know, it was appalling the way that bloke behaved. You know, he even put signs up so the VIP box couldn't see the game, which Probably was a good thing after seeing Alden play twice last year. But uh, yeah, I'd like to think it is. And, you know, I'll probably get a little bit of stick for it. But, you know, I'd like to think that I wear my heart on the sleeve. You know, this is what I'm passionate about. I'm not just trying to get something out there to, you know, to sort of promote myself. But just the fact that, you know, let's look at shirts, look at what they do, look at what they transport and they transfer 
and look at the power they have to do better things you know again with the design there's so many great designers out there you know it's just incredible that we we, we kind of default to cut and paste um, my Exodus City have got a design that was voted on by fans, didn't need an AFT, didn't need a socio, just had people voting for it. And, I, you know, it's a kind of little bit of an Atletico Madrid vibe, and I think it's lovely. So, um, yeah, so it's really, really sort of a bit of a soapbox, a little bit of a weather report, as you describe it. But, um, you know, just just a passion, a passion piece, maybe, you know, it's a passion piece. You kind of touched on some of your feelings there with the gambling uh, mm. and kind of football's addiction to the betting money. Mm. Uh, in the book, you refer and you, you make the quote as it being the corrosive cancer that metastasize in our shirts for, and through our game. Mm. Although it's um, largely a rhetorical question, is it too late to kill the disease without killing the patient? Yeah, I'm really surprised that got through, Gav. I'll be honest with you. I thought that was <laughs> going to be edited out. But uh, I, my big concern... Quote. Yeah, and you see this even with Man City in the last few days is the lack of due diligence, you know, this this lack of oversight overall, the fact that, you know, you look at John Terry's disastrous attempts, you look at Michael Owen's disastrous attempts. I don't think it is too late, but I just find it astonishing that all these oceans of money are flowing into football and still they feel they need to do this. You know, you look at how little take up there was for the Liverpool NFTs. The fans just turned against it. So I have to hope that we can get our game to be yeah, pure and maybe sounds idealistic. But, you know, I don't mind, you know, the alcohol betting, OK, we obviously don't want cigarette betting or uh, advertising, but there has to be better than this unregulated. And, you know, Kieran says a lot on, on the on the uh, price of football, mani- manipulated. You know, it's being manipulated. They're driving the prices up, they're driving the prices down, the pump and dump. And it just doesn't sit well. You know, I'd love to get more. You know, look at the Poundland Stadium at Warsaw. People make fun of it. Poundland are a business that produce things, that produce jobs. And it may not be sexy, but it's it's a it's a business. Whereas the Inter Milan shirt with the socios, all of those all of those betting shirts, it's I just find it really, really distasteful, particularly when I when I think about gambling with lives and uh, those kind of uh, organizations where they're, it's almost like it's rubbing their their noses in it. You know, they may have lost a son or a daughter to to gambling. So yeah, I have to hope it'll it will will be okay, Gav. Um, but I think that comes in a way getting back to what you said about fair game. That comes with better oversight, financial oversight. We always think about the fifty plus one model in Germany. You know that that different approach where the fans can say, I don't want this on my shirt, and we, it can't happen. I've seen um, in the last week, I think Crawley Town have announced that their oh. away in third kits will only oh. be available via NFT. So, yeah, I wish a I was scary kind of a door that they've opened there. And it, uh, it makes me think how those shirts will be received. Will they be collector's items because they'll be very rare? Or, you know, is this the new owners of Crawley are heavily into crypto? Well, something to think about moving forward and, and the concerns yeah. that that raises. And Southampton, uh, even today in Thailand, Man United training. I uh, watched Man United training in Rajamangala Stadium, the main stadium. They've got <laughs> they've got crypto, is it crypto or NFT on their shirts? You know this this idea about having legitimizing these type of things. It's uh, for me, it's you know it's deeply concerning, and particularly again with Southampton, I think they've got another similar kind of thing with their kits. You know, with Crawley and the the crypto bros as they call themselves, it's almost laughable. But when it's in the Premier League, you know, you've got a massive leverage all across the world, particularly in Asian places like Thailand, where gambling's illegal. I mean, it's not even legal, and and essentially that's what crypto and for me NFTs and socials they're all part of that. As I mentioned in the book, as you know, that 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 same idea. 
do you think this will come through the fan-led review as part of that process? I know, again, we've talked about the mm. uh, price of football podcast, and that's discussed mm. a lot on there. Uh, and I wonder if we'll see change off the back of, you know, people like Kieran Maguire driving these conversations mm. as well. Yeah, I hope so, Gav. I mean, I do feel that Tracy is being undermined. Uh, you know, Kieran has said about uh, deflecting, denying, discrediting. There's a lot of people that have been wheeled out against Tracy and her review. And I do worry that they're going to try and water it down. But, you know, it has to come from people like the fan-led review or, or organisations and, and fan review and fair game. Because otherwise, what you're doing is you're just getting those massive, often petrochemical-owned clubs that are deciding they can lose a billion, they can lose five billion, ten billion. It doesn't matter. Whereas it just simply isn't sustainable. And yeah, I know it's a big thing for Kieran. Um, I know him and Kevin are coming down soon. Actually, they're going to they're going to go to Plymouth for a for an event. Uh, we're going to stop off in in Exeter and talk about that. But uh, yeah, you just think there's only so much of this that we can hold you know there's it can't carry on like this we know that football is is mad financially and I, you can't get it where you're losing so much money it has to be sustainable that you can pass it on to somebody else i presume it was very important to you that your own moral and political compass was going to be clear throughout the book you know mm. i suppose it's fair to say you're not going to be on the Qatari shortlist of football books for 2022. You know, you're making the political points without euphemism or subtext or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and you, like you've mentioned, the editors kind of wanting to take stuff out. Mm. Was there anything like that that you had to kind of stand your ground on? Yeah, there was. I mean, I have very strong feelings about, uh, you know, this this idea of having a layer of plausible deniability in terms of ownership, which we see with PSG, we see with Newcastle, we see with, you know, other clubs as well. And, and it's, it's something that um, the editor was a little bit twitchy about, but I just wanted to put it in because there's no point in just writing something just to get a book out there, um, even though people might not agree with it. You know, I, I just feel it. I feel very strongly that 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 countries like Qatar, this idea of sports washing, it's it's just something that if we if we don't fight against it, then we're buying into it, aren't we? By default. And um, the great thing about the sports washing is that, you know, you don't have to buy it. You don't have to go there. But, you know, you look at that Newcastle third shirt and you just feel that they're just saying to us, we can do whatever we want. You know, that green and white copy of Saudi Arabia. Uh, it's it's yeah, I do. I do. I did feel even though this is the first book I've published or hopefully when we get past Brexit's uh, customs, I did feel I got had to put my foot down because it's what I believe. And, you know, what you were saying earlier, Les, about the you know, sort of the weather report. And I had to say it rather than just, you know, summarise and kind of, you know, uh, marginalise what, what's happening because it's all part of a movement. You know, this is, there is a movement towards multi-billion dollar companies. In fact, you know, my own Supambri, you mentioned at the beginning, they had a chance to buy Liverpool in 2011 when I was working them and they just didn't, not because of financial situation, they just didn't fancy Liverpool. They wanted to buy West Ham instead. You know, this, it when it becomes a play thing like that, it's very easy to throw the toys out of the pram. And then we as fans are just left with, you know, nothing, you know, no, no infrastructure, no club. And you look at, you know, with, with, um, with fair game, you look at Wimbledon and AFC Wimbledon, what happened there? And, you know, it's, it, for me, it's all part of the process that starts with those countries that own clubs and, and filters down to, to what you and I like to, to watch. Yeah, funnily enough, that Newcastle third shirt, it's, it's probably the only new release in the last decade 
where I haven't seen, you know, what it's inspired by. Mm. <laughs> and their website, it just said it's white and green. So like mm-hmm. they're, they're just hiding it in plain sight. Like, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, and again, living, working in Thailand, I had a friend of mine who was a, a coach for a Northern Thailand team. He used to work in Saudi Arabia and, you know, a lot of, lot of things that happened there. They were very, very uncomfortable, particularly about sort of uh, nationality changing and all kinds of uh, other things. And it's just, we, we don't need that. You know, it's not just the fact it's a Premier League, but this is a, a, an English football where the history, you know, getting back to Thailand, they didn't have that history. We have the history to support sustainability. And obviously there's all kinds of, it's never going to be pure, but there's no need to go so far away from the, the values that, that football had, um, which again, I've seen in Thai football, seen in Qatari football, seen a lot of other countries, Singaporean football, but we, we don't need to go that, that way because we've got, you know, we've got the eyeballs of the world, haven't we really? Yeah. So yeah, that was, uh, it's it's been an eye opener and it's been quite interesting having that Asian perspective as well, having lived in, in Asia for so long. We lived in Malaysia for two years as well. Um, when you come back to England and you see you know, just how important it is. I tried to get some work in, in Exeter City and I thought, well, I've, you know, I've worked, I've been on Foxport, it'd be easy. It's been impossible because the people, there's been people who've, you know, been with City for 20, 30, 40 years and they will know the DNA of the club. You know, I, we sponsor this girl called Zoe Watkins in the women's team. I'm a season ticket holder. I'm a trust member. I'm a volunteer. But that doesn't put me anywhere near the front of the queue. And I actually love that, to be honest, lads. Because it yeah. shows that the people that are at the front of the queue, it's absolutely in their the heritage of their of their family for for decades. Good stuff. Mm. Just going back to the the work the MP Tracy Crouch has been doing. Um, mm. As as a fan of a club whose owner, previous owner, thankfully, sought to vandalise the club identity as part of a feeble battle with the local council that built as a free stadium, mm. the thought mm-hmm. of having team names primary kit colours, identities, the location of the team, given the same status as a listed building, that appeals to me greatly. Mm. You talked about moving in that direction. Mm. How far away from that do you feel we are? I mean, you mentioned about people speaking against Trace Crouch's findings, you know, people mm. trying to undermine that message. Mm. I think, to be honest, what's happening is people are testing the barriers of that, Les. We look at the European Super League, it's not gone away and all they're doing is testing for weaknesses and if they can find a way to move a club if they can find a way to have a saudi arabian third team kit if they can find a way to undermine tracy's report they'll get that find that weakness and you know you look at the the top six clubs none of them were petitioning against it they brought in other clubs slightly lower down the crystal palaces west ham those top six will have a plan and if they find that weakness and if you can get one team to the, the book that's coming out next year is about in Thailand, where the champions from this year, they moved from Bangkok 500 kilometres north to a place called Buriram because they had a licence to get directly to the top league. You know, if they saw that weakness, if those people at the top of English football find it, I think that that European Super League was the idea that this was not the beginning, the middle and then the end. This was just, a you know, as Winston Churchill said, this is the end of the beginning. And that that's quite worrying for me. And I think that really is what is what they're trying to do if they could make it the whole tigers you know if they could make it the uh when tony g was uh owner of disastrously owner of villa he wanted to put his herbal product as part of the name of villa park you know he couldn't but if he could then someone else would 
And again, when you look at the Newcastle situation, I just think these are the, the in the vanguard. These are the forerunners. And if they get through the barriers of us as fans once, then that's it. That will be the standard. And, and that, that's worrying for me moving forward. Especially the cash for trash chapter that you'll remember, the, the idea of the shirts where they were going to have the, the these kind of franchise style shirts from Manchester and um, and Liverpool, but not Liverpool Football Club. You know, this is this was just them testing the water. And, you know, it's quite interesting. Look at the price of the shirts, those shirts that they tried to sell as they rose in price. That's probably when they knew they had a chance and it dropped in price when they thought they didn't have a chance. But uh, but again, we we haven't we're never going to see the end of this. You look at the American owners, you look at the idea of a sealed off non relegation environment. They're not there just for the love of English football. They can see that franchise approach, the, the hermetically sealed environment. They can see the huge amounts of money with no risk of relegation. But yeah, it's a, it's a interesting, interesting times in English football. It does feel like we're getting close to a tipping point that someone's got to do something. When you look at the, I think maybe COVID is another issue as well we need to look at is it maybe, maybe make people reassess. You know, the, the massive increase in the cost of, of uh, television and, and uh, Sky contracts and all this type of thing. Maybe COVID is a chance for people to say, so if a nurse is saving people's lives and they get paid X and a football club is kicking a ball of air around into a plastic net and they get Y, how come Y is 100 times, 100,000 times more than X? So, you know, maybe that's another thing we could uh, we could think about. I suppose lightening the tone. Welcome to your own taste in football shirts. Mm. You're not keen on the, the bold, all over sublimated prints, I'm guessing, um, no. from the book. What's your preferred era design wise? For me, I just like the idea of, of a challenging design. You know, the idea of um, there's there's in the, the St. Pauli um, by the sea or St. Pauli, the, the St. Pauli from Essex version, where very kindly they let me have that photo of love is love. And I love the journey that it took your eye. It kind of kept stopping your eye from doing what we normally do, because obviously as apart from I think it's Urdu and Mandarin, we all look from top left to the right. So with a shirt, we look essentially to the logo first on the, the right hand side of the of the, the, the player. And I love things like the St. Pauli by the Sea shirt that that challenges the journey the eye wants to take. And it it makes things slightly different, different perspective, different colours. And the shirt that that they kind of let me have a, a photo of is it's almost like swatches of different materials. So yeah, for me, it's the idea that it challenges the the eye line, challenges the journey of the eye. And and sometimes it's kind of, you know, on the edge of being a little bit you're not quite sure but it's that fact that there's a there's a narrative rather than a, just a basic stock photo i like the crystal palace one i don't know if you've seen it i really like that yeah it's yeah, almost yeah. like it's kind of you know it's sketched on and i just thought that kind of journey and i, I like to be honest i don't know about you lads but i like the other one like the willy i always call it the willy wonka style from last year do you remember that one the palace one those are the kind of things that I really enjoy, you know. I'm not sure about the Man United uh, collars this year, trying to be like Eric Cantona. But yeah, if it's a narrative and if it's a challenging narrative and I can see that there's thought gone into it, you know, again, I don't want to just batter Castor, but so many shirts, you just think, my goodness me, was that five minutes of your time? And I, now you're asking me for £70, £100, £120. Pounds. It seems, you know, it seems very surprising. Whereas the shirt, you know, your shirt you've got, Gab, it's 37, 38 pounds. And I think, you know, I think it's very well designed. It's washed well. Rock and roll football very kindly gave me a couple of their shirts. My 19-year-old stolen both shirts to me from me. He wears it constantly. It's great quality and he loves it. He doesn't know that it's a, a reference to Oasis and the Scar uh -huh. 
tradition but you know those kind of things that, that with a narrative and there's there's too little of it i think being bold and different and again you know look at more look at palace i think that's that's quite impressive what you're doing there i really like it speaking of bold designs from mm -hmm. an aesthetic point of view having seen football in that part of the world in person mm. what do you notice about kit design across asia that sets it apart from the european game yeah i mean first of all it's normally plastered with adverts which we think go down too well but also you get uh, with the sapambri and again the the design gather that blue shirt you've got there that was based on the sapambri design so very kindly i, I checked with the president he, he allowed me to use that design but with asia i think you you get a, a freer reign so i mean particularly obviously for me it was it was thailand and they were a lot of kind of funky colors but also in thailand the, the colors have a different resonance so for example purple is a royal color so no one could touch that yellow was a royal color for the previous king so no one could touch that as well so there was there were different kind of rules of engagement if you like whereas one of my favorite stadiums uh, up in the north called Chiang Rai had a, this kind of vibrant orange, uh, sort of maybe sort of the Wolverhampton Wanderers of, of Thailand. So it was more creative because in a way they weren't restrained by history. I mean, Chiang Rai, I think they're only about 20 years old. So, you know, you haven't got this idea of in 1875, this is how he did it. Um, so I really liked it. And one of my big regrets is I didn't save more shirts from Thailand. I don't know what I was thinking. But uh, when we used to play away, I'd get a shirt because I mean, they were they were cheap as can't even say cheap as chips. They were probably cheaper than chips. But I, I wish I'd have kept them over the uh, over the time. And and some of them, some of them are a bit too wacky, but often they were just they were just that idea of that freedom. You know, that freedom of not having the weight of history and people criticizing you. And so you just think, well, let's try this, see if it works. And yeah, sometimes they just they they were fantastic, really really creative and and open. Very nice. Um, mm. So you've mentioned being a Villa fan and an yes. Exeter City season ticket holder. Yeah. Tell us what your quintessential kit of each of those clubs is for you. So for me, the Villa one, I have to say, I've got to come back to that white pinstripe Villa uh, European Cup final win. I was very lucky to meet Peter with in Thailand because he was a Thai national coach two years before we came and he stayed for sort of three years after we came and we got to know him and his wife, Kathy. So for Villa... It has to be that one, the, that central uh, logo, the pinstripe, the the great, the cotton as well. And the fact that, you know, it's pretty much the last time Villa won anything of note. I uh, can't believe we're still singing. We even conquered Europe in 1982. It's amazing. But in terms of Exeter, it's a really weird choice. But there was this odd purple flecked with yellow that came out. I can't even remember the date now. But occasionally you'll see fans with it as well with sponsored by carling with you know horrendous beer as well and there was just something about it that i just love when i see it at the stadium because you know what it's like in the lower leagues you get massive varieties of shirts but also i just really like the one that was launched two days ago it's just a really nice fresh sort of spin on 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 the stripes and again the sort of uh, atletico madrid vibe has come across really well because they've got joma which i think uh, in that thing you shared today, Gav, I think there's only five clubs, I think, or maybe six clubs that use Joma. Yeah, um, yeah. no, it's not many at all. So, yeah, so for Villa, it's European. And, uh, yeah, the purple, yeah, it's, it, again, it's the idea of you're verging on a monstrosity, <laughs> but it's also really kind of energetic. Um, yeah. And I think Ollie Watkins might have worn that when he was, before he left us, so that was nice. So similar to the Bristol City fans, love of the purple and lime green. Yeah. Um, it's those colours that shouldn't work that actually work yeah. well fans love on the pitch stand out and 
you see those yeah. two colours together, and I think you know kit love is automatically Bristol City. So mm. it's a similar kind of thing, I think, with uh, with that shirt you're describing. Yeah, bland is the worst thing, isn't it? That kind of oh, I'm not sure is much more enjoyable because you've got to question your own views rather than oh yeah, red and white stripes again. Oh yeah, just like last year. You see, the shirt that reminds me most of Aston Villa's European Cup triumph is an inside-out Bayern Munich shirt. Back ah, yes. in the days when so many players would swap them, but you could tell yeah. the Villa players because they had wristbands. Yeah, that's right. Well, Peter was saying, I was talking to him about this when we were in Thailand, and he was saying he wished he hadn't swapped his shirt. Um, <laughs> he swapped it with Rummenigge, I think it was, and uh, he regrets it to this day because he never got it back, even though he's tried over the years to uh, to do that. But yeah, the sweatband, especially with Peter, of course, he always wore those uh, sweatbands, didn't he? But, uh, and again, that's that beauty of it, isn't it? You know, it's that historical reference point. I was just noticed something down the other day it's kind of like a it probably sounds pretentious but it's always think of football shirts like a window on the soul of a culture you know you you can see what the culture's feeling like at the time or how it's responding at the time to what's going on you know in 1982-83 there wasn't a lot of money in football you know the Rotterdam stadium wasn't great um there wasn't much kind of interest in football at all it was we went I went to a lot of games that season when we won the European League because we were living in the Midlands at the time in Stafford and it was fairly grim, you know, Spartak Moscow on a Wednesday in cold Birmingham. There wasn't any luxury at all, but there was something really kind of meaningful about it. And the, and the shirts reflected that, which I really, really love. Rather than the Lacoste Sportif time where at Villa, where there was like spangly shorts. They were almost like glittery shorts where, you know, I was growing up in a market town in Shropshire. That was a weird thing to have to wear because of your team. The nostalgic pull of football shirts mm. um and how they bring back i think we've that's come up in our discussions the last two or three pods so it's mm. uh it's good it's not just us that thinks that as well it really is a touchstone i've got i've got shirts that i've still got here and i've got upstairs and you know i look at there and i've got uh shirts i have got some shirts from thailand and training shirts from the team and a friend of mine went to a club in the north in chiang mai rather than chiang rai and i remember the time you know that the president of the club jumped into a cage with a full-grown tiger and to try and show what a man he was and all the shirt when i see the chiang mai shirt it reminds me of that it's just fantastic as i say it's it's a it really is like a, a portal or a window on the soul of of the story again the story of our lives it's, it's a, a never-ending um um process really and you mentioned matt the the special shirt you had made and now the the away one to match it and you, mm. you did a, a kind of a nice um infographic a while back there on twitter Mm. kind of um explaining what each each part of it represented mm. so it, it was obviously um an enjoyable process was it yeah it really was and what i wanted to do and it's uh, with most of my football life it's financially suicidal is i wanted to not try and sell it is to give it to people like gav and people that help me with the book for free uh because i wanted to say well this is a passion project if i'd have said you know it's now available for 39.99 or whatever it is it, i feel like it would have kind of demeaned what i was trying to do so it was a, a really nice feeling because it summarized the three years i worked for sapambri because i played i worked for another club uh kind of bigger club from bangkok before that that robbie fowler was at for a while actually but it was so nice to design the shirt contact Icarus, negotiate with them about how I wanted it to be done and the tone and all that sort of thing. And then it brought that, that memory of, you know, I do love the fact that it it's a cross that goes to the heart. You know, I've, I've said in the book, as you know, with the, um, the Finland shirt, but the cross goes to the Nike sign. For me, the journey for the Sapambri shirt or the shirt that I've got is that it's drawing your eye to the heart. 
you know, where the heart is, where the club is, the end of the story. And I kind of adapted the story to be, you know, the people who supported me, like, you know, like you, like you guys and like my wife and the people that I know and the club that I used to work for. So yeah, it's a lovely thing. And again, this idea of a narrative, it's just, you know, you don't get that very, not very often in life, do you? No, no, definitely not. Mm. And orange. I thought orange. You don't see many orange shirts, orange and blue. I was watching the T20 with England and uh, India the other day, and so they got orange and blue as well. I just think it's kind of a nice, effective combination of colours. Yeah, mm. because it's because they're opposites on the, the colour wheel. I remember mm. doing an interior design course six or seven years ago, mm. and the, the woman giving it was telling us that that was a factor. Real Madrid's away kit last season was a nice example of orange and blue working well together. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, it was a really nice thing. And again, a really nice experience, uh, financially ruinous, uh, which most of my footballing life is like, but that's fine. And it's just the fact that I just, it makes you feel good that you're doing something that you believe in. I've got 10 of those orange shirts. And I've, I've actually, that's the first time I've opened the, the drawer to show you that shirt. Because I said to my wife, I'm not opening that drawer until I have a book in my hand. <laughs> not even though it's published, I have a book in my hand. And then those shirts will come out and I'll give it to, to people of uh, other people that have helped me with the book as well. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people have given me a lot of time and uh, they didn't have to. They're as passionate about it as I am. And so it's, it's the only way to do it. And I've, I've given it to some of the players as well, Exeter City and the media manager that's helped me with the graphics and that kind of thing. So uh, oh, it's brilliant. also a currency, isn't it? You know, it's a currency to say to someone, thank you. Um, here it is. And um, I just think money, money kind of muddies the waters a little bit. Yeah, yeah. My uh, bank manager wouldn't agree, but <laughs> there you go. <laughs> As somebody who lacks but admires in others the discipline to knock out a publication, mm. I'm fascinated to know if there's anything about the process of writing a kit book that mm. you know now that you wish you knew at the outset. Yeah, it's an interesting question, actually. One of the things that I really tried to do is, I, in my mind, I had, I'm looking at a 50,000 word manuscript, and I'm looking for probably around 17, 18, 19, 20 chapters, and I'm trying to get a variety of different things. So as you know, in the book, I've got some things about Thailand, some things about mental health, some things about LGBTQ+. And what I, I kind of, it's interesting to say, but I kind of wish I knew when I very first started about Google Docs, because it's so useful that I could be in an Exeter City game on the terrace and someone says something and I could stick it on Google Docs, I can come back home and it's then been added to the manuscript and I can sort of look at it at leisure when the kind of Thatcher's gold has worn off uh, after the game, if we've had a good game, which we did a lot last season. But I think one of the things I wished I'd known, actually, probably the biggest thing is the easiest thing in the world is writing a book and the hardest thing is being published. So I wrote a book for a friend of mine who was at the time was the coach of the Philippine national team. And it's about it's a tactical book. It's about broken play. And it looks at the idea of analysing broken play, probably a little bit too niche. But I wrote 74,000 words. I have a, an agent that was supposed to promote it. I had interviews with Bloomsbury. I had the commissioning editor. And I didn't realise at the time that the hardest thing is to get them to commit to publishing. When I get a manuscript and when I get an agent and when I get someone interested, don't think it's going to get published. Because I had an interview with, he's a very nice guy, commissioning editor of Bloomsbury book. And I thought, this is it. You know, this is the man that can sign it all off. He said to me, Matt, broken play, Football's third dimension is a little bit like Moneyball. It's going to be revolutionary. 
What I now realize that means is it will never be published. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that was the one thing, because I was saying to Karen, I was saying to my friends, I was going, hey, lads, you know, I've got this. I've got the agent and she's really good and all the rest of it. That's nearly two years ago. So I now realize that even even as you've seen the files finished, the date was there. It's on Amazon. It doesn't mean anything until it's physically in your hand. And it's very difficult because in a way you look foolish because I've told my friends and my family that I have a book coming out on August 1st. I've told people before that it's coming out. And now I realize that, um, yeah, again, the book writing is it's the easiest thing, especially if you're passionate about it. But the rest of it, my goodness me, my goodness me. I'm looking forward to the to the day when it's in my hands. <laughs> the other thing I learned is there's a very long lead time between content and publication. So at the moment, I probably would have finished the first draft for pitch seven or eight months ago. And because of the fact of the timing of, as you know, Laz's new kit launches, changes to ownership, this type of thing, I didn't realize at the time that really long lead time would make a lot of the stories. If you're not careful, and again, you were saying, Les, about it trying to be kind of contemporary. If you're not careful, it suddenly becomes an old story. And that's something I hadn't really considered. With the Her Game 2 book that's coming out on October the 3rd, there are, I, I put it in for final edit, which happened finished this week. But there's content there that's probably three months out of date. And then there was 5,000 more words I had to try and get in the last minute to the editor because there were new stories about, you know, Brentford joining her game too and Leeds United and Everton that weren't there at the time. So it makes you realise that when you read these books and you think, my goodness, that's old story. It's that lead time. You know, it can be nine months, 10 months, particularly with kids because it's so dynamic, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So I'm still learning, even at 53, still learning. (laughs) So, you know, your passion for kind of everything is so clear to see and the role that you're playing with the football shirts and everything around the book. Tell us, you know, this is clearly a passion project and it's not Mm. about money. Mm. Who's going to benefit from the sales from Kit and Caboodle? Yeah, so what I would like to do is... One of the things that I've really noticed is that the women's game is like the Thai game when I first went to it. So I went to I used to play football in Thailand to a reasonable level. But I got to the stage where I just thought, my goodness, these guys are too fast for me. You know, Thais are very technical they're very fast in a, an English game. You can, you know, you can get very physical and, and it can be, be quite, uh, you know, quite strong. So I decided I'd go to a local club. And I went there, this club called Mung Tong United, and had two or three hundred fans. And it was it was like football was being reinvented. The fans had uh, it was new to them because they were normally, you know, what it's like in Asia, mostly Liverpool fans, Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal. So I thought I thought I wouldn't see it again. And then I went to watch Exeter City women play Plymouth last October. And there was nearly three thousand fans there. And we already were season ticket holders. And I saw that kind of joyous new approach almost new approach to football there's no diving there's no time wasting if someone gets hurt you apologize you know you carry on like at the beginning of Thai football and I saw Thai football become like English football you know massive amounts of money there's probably a lot of editing that'll have to come out of it for that book as well because you know quite a lot of dark money in Thai football so what this book will do is it will it will hopefully raise funds but as I mentioned I only get seven percent of the book cover price and that will all go to Exeter City Women but also what I hope it will do is it will increase uh, profile for the women's game. Uh, Exeter City women are in the one, two, three, fourth level of English football and came third last year. And there's this massive difference between the WSL, 
and the championship and then even more of a big gap between the championship and the the national league and then the regional leagues that extra are in so what i'm hoping is that it will just make people think i could go to a women's football game it's a great atmosphere everybody's helping everyone else you know we where karen and i go there's also a really nice pub nearby so we go and watch the game we go we have a pint after the game the players come we talk about the game and again it's that access gap that i used to have in thailand you know i used to be with the presidents with the directors with the players and I knew I'd never see that again in in the English football that we all support, but I see it in women's football. So yeah, hopefully, I mean, it's only what two pound two pounds a book that will go to them, but just hopefully it'll make people think this is something I want to I want to support because you know it's mad. I teach business at university. Any population is forty nine to fifty one percent women, so you've got a, a new uh, population, a new demographic, a new market that's underserved, ignored, and uh, marginalised. So even if you take all the emotions out of it, you've got, why not double the market? And that's what, you know, again, that's what I see in football and, and women's football and I, and I love it. And my wife's not a big football fan, but, you know, the fact that pub is around the corner, she, she's happy with, you know, supporting it that way. <laughs> and finally, Matt, how yep. can people get hold of the book? Yeah, so the publishers, as you mentioned before, lads, is Pitch Publishing. It's on Amazon. Um, and it's in Waterstones and it's Smiths. But the other thing I wanted to emphasize is there's a company called Hive.co.uk. And what they do is they support independent high street bookshops. And there's two reasons. That's the first reason. And the second reason is actually cheaper than on Amazon. Um, so you're supporting this group of this group of people that, that support independent bookshops. And it, it's also the best price as well. So if you go onto Amazon and just type in Kit and Caboodle, it's there. But if you go on to Pitch Publishing, I'm on page four at the moment, getting close to the page one. Um, it would be great for people to to support Hive, to support my book, to support Exeter City Women and uh, hopefully um, enjoy the book as well. Because, again, the designer's done an unbelievable job and uh, hopefully there are things there that are a little bit more kind of challenging, um, but heartfelt. And as again, really nice that you, you described it as, as, as soulful. I hope it I hope it comes across as as soulful. Excellent. I'm sure it will. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate your support. Matt, I want to thank you for your time today and uh, your input. It's been a fascinating conversation. I've loved hearing you talk passionately about this this book, the Soulful Football Kit book. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. And we wish you all the best with the launch of the book. 